Hello, my Assyrians. This is Osiris, and what do we have today? You know what we have today. We have the first day that I talk about the actual mathematics. Now, this was not something that I was planning on to do this early, and I might not go any further with it after today until it, we'll judge by how you guys look while I'm talking. If you guys have dumbfounded looks on my face going, I don't understand anything he's saying, then you will know I was right. <laughs> it's too early, but I figured I'd give it a chance because the scuttlebutt around... Yes, I said scuttlebutt. Um, the scuttlebutt around the... They saying, and what I, I got back around was, let me see if I can quote the person. Hey, have you been listening to Osiris's cult? He doesn't talk anything about mathematics. He talks about destroying religion. Well, that's almost true. It's both... Because that is what we're just we're trying to destroy is the 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 people believing um, in in external gods. That's all. Not destroying religion, but it will do so. However, that it coincides with thinking differently. Well, if you can do that, then you can think differently, and thinking differently is what you need for understanding ontological mathematics. And why you say? Well, I'm about to tell you. First and foremost, having to describe what I'm about to describe in words is um, difficult. You can imagine. So first I'm going to tell the story about ontological mathematics. Um, an overview, if you will, more than a story. A little bit of history, a little bit of the major topics in there. So I'm going to get right to it so I don't preamble the preamble because I need to prove it to you. So I call this one something for nothing. Can you get anything for nothing? No. You can't. Because you have to have something from something. You can't have something from nothing unless that nothing doesn't mean what you're, you know is nothing. What happens if it means something else? What happens if it means zero? Zero doesn't mean absolutely nothing it just means zero and that's what we're going to start to explain in here because I know that probably doesn't make any sense to you now this zero is a very important part of this mathematics and zero itself was not part of normal mathematic when it was made Zero wasn't. Now, this is going to be brand new material for you. So, go repeat it. Because I think I see here that the zero, it wasn't... It had to be invented, okay? And the discovery of negative numbers, whatever those really are. But we all know what negative numbers are. The difference in the timeline or the the counting line between negative z or negative one and positive one, there was a something that had to be in the middle of that. It had to be a number in between both series of numbers, and that marker became what you know now as zero. I'm sure it was world-shattering at the time, almost paradigm-shifting. 
if they put zero. That's where you get zero from. So remember that. It's not, zero is not, it's a, in between the two. It doesn't cancel them. It's a negator. That's the best way for me to say it. It negates negative, zero, negative one and positive one. It doesn't destroy it, taking it out altogether, and you get nothing. That is untrue. Negative one, positive one, negated to zero, or it cancels each other out, but you're still just left with zero. You're not left with nothing or something. Anyway, that's, you'll understand when I start to explain things what, why that makes any kind of sense at all. So the difference between, I, well, I'm going to have a few concepts here that I'm going to be t talking about. So um, forgive my, I, I take it slow because I might get ahead of myself sometimes. And that's because I know the material and you don't. So if I get ahead of myself, is that's really bad because that means I don't know if I have taught you the steps.
the right hand side of the wall make up the sides of the triangle. I have to say this again because I need you to get the picture as I draw it up here on the board. If you're looking at the wall, the brace might go from the bottom left corner to the top right corner. That's a diagonal. So we're going on a diagonal. It's a hypotenuse. And the floor and right-hand side of the wall make up the sides of the triangle. Okay? If you want to use the single length Okay, if you want to use a single length of lumber or uh, like two by four or whatever you need to use, um, or steel or whatever for that diagonal, you have to know how long it is, basically. And so you can just use the Pythagorean equation to calculate it since you already know the length and the height of the wall. If some construction engineer or whoever is drawing up plans for this thing, the workers can't just go and measure the length of the hypotenuse, okay? Because the floor and the sides and the walls don't even exist yet. So you calculate it ahead of time. It's like telling the future, you know, with a, and you do that with the Pythagorean equation. And this is an ontological equation will always work because it really describes how reality works at its basic, unavoidable level. Okay? The math of the Pythagorean equation really exists. It's not something made up. It's not something that is untrue, that's a myth. I don't A lot of people have a lot of different things. Now, what we're going to talk about a little more, I know this gets very confusing because it's hard to put into words when you're doing this. Um, so we would move to the next, the second part, which would I say the imaginary abstract or imaginary math? Let me describe that so you know the differences and you know what it is that I'm saying when I refer to so the abstract or imaginary math, that would be abstract math that doesn't really represent reality. For an example, I will use, um, say you're losing three pounds in one week, okay? That's your goal for something, I don't know, New Year's or some resolution crap that you guys do. So you losing three pounds in one week and then extrapolating that loss to two more weeks to ahead in the future so that you have lost nine pounds by the end of the third week. Is that true math? Is that real world? Fuck no, it's not. That's some fat-ass thinking. Wishful thinking at that. Okay? Truly wishful imaginary thinking. Now, it was totally mathematical, which is absolutely right. There was math in there. It was even done right. You use the total, a totally valid mathematic or mathematics to make that prediction because you just multiplied three pounds by three weeks. I mean, good job. But was the essence of that prediction ontological? Did it really correspond to reality? Did it even take into account all of the other factors that might prevent you from achieving this? No. It did not. It was not. And no, it did not. The mathematical prediction was just imaginary. You see what we say by this? Imagine, and imaginary, abstract, even though the mathematical operation that was used to do it 
was perfectly valid. Three times three is nine. That math is solid. But you see what we're saying. It's abstract and imaginary. For it is making the basis on the... There we go. So, if you can see that there is mathematics which truly corresponds with reality and which can never be wrong, such as the Pythagorean equation, and we can call this ontological mathematics. And on the other hand, we have, there is valid mathematics, but which is an abstract and imaginary one. And while it might work in some limited cases, like describing the weight loss thing that I just did uh, for a week, the math won't work for predicting your weight loss for the next two weeks. Can we all agree to that? Good. Now, ontological mathematics can never be wrong. And I don't like to say never, never say never, unless you're saying never say never. But I'm saying never. Until you prove me wrong, but it won't happen. So, it can never be wrong because it truly, really describes the essence of reality itself. Abstract mathematics can be correct as far as adding and multiplying things the right way, but the results do not necessarily correspond to what reality is actually doing or will do. This type of mathematics is what science is currently fixated on because most scientists haven't even yet realized that there are these types of mathematics. And that's pretty sad. Okay? That is why we have to change the way we think. Even the math... These kinds of people don't... The scientists don't know. They just haven't thought about it yet or been told. Science should orient itself in its research methods around understanding and figuring out ontological mathematics rather than just coming up with arbitrary equations to describe empirical data. And it truly wants to claim the position of being the method to understand reality. Now, Illuminism seeks to understand the very basis of reality, the very fabric of existence, and its unavoidable reason for being. Remember always, reasons. This difference between what we call and we're calling ontological math and abstract math therefore could not be any more important than anything else in this reality, in this world. Because it's only the ontological math which corresponds with fundamental reality. And so only Illuminism, not science, as it currently exists, it can change, truly provide the answer as to why we are all here. So, you hear that? I just told you that uh, we could tell you why you're here. At least the ontological mathematics could do that. But you don't want to know. Next, we'll speak about the... I don't like to use the word equally. Um, but, like, it's so fun in math. Um, equally important is understanding and developing the mindset, uh, in quotations, if you will, the mindset of purely logical thinking. This is what we need you to do. We need you to always think in purely logical th thinking. So you don't want to stray into things that aren't. But unfortunately, this is just uh, just isn't taught to people in schools. You never learn that anymore. They just don't teach anymore. But it isn't that difficult to learn, and that's why I'm going to teach it. And we'll see if you're really ready for it. So, The basic nature of logical thinking, okay, the basics of logical thinking, could best be described as letting... Now, pay attention to this, because when I say these words, I need you to understand them. It can be best described as letting 
concepts and ideas dictate their own results. Now, I'm going to repeat that because you have to understand what I'm saying here. The basic nature of what we are calling logical thinking could be best described as letting concepts and ideas dictate their own results. Now, what does that mean you're going to ask? You guys see that uh, all the questions that come up with this, because it just, you understand how intense this will get because it just gets crazier and crazier. But um, when I say crazy, it's because it won't make any sense to you. But we're going to have to start to explain it, and that's what we're doing. So please pay attention. Now, a logical thinker, which is what we need to get everybody doing, be logical thinkers. They, we want a total justifiable and even unavoidable answer for absolutely everything. It's kind of like me. You have to prove it, or at least if you're going to want me to believe something, then you have to back it up pretty well. Now, the idea that, here we go back on the God thing. Now, the idea that God created the universe, to me, it sounds like a, or to you, might sound like a valid answer. To a lot of people, it might be a valid answer. However, a logical thinker, anybody that's thinking logically, that heard that, would definitely take a different stand. A logical thinker wants a total, justifiable, unavoidable answer for everything. And the idea of God created the universe sounds like a valid answer to a lot of people. However, the logical thinkers, uh, we ask, well, what created God? The people who believe in a creator God that we're trying to get rid of will just say things like, hmm, well, God has always existed. That's why. God has always existed. That's your answer. Even further, they'll say things like, they'll, they'll, it's more of what they'll explain away. They'll explain away the question rather than logically answering it. Why has God always existed, we say? Why, why, why? Uh, what is God made of? What did he do before he created the universe? What was his purpose before then? Why did he bother creating the universe? For his own diddly-daddly fun? Or was he really, really high? Inquiring minds want to know. You can't just explain away these questions. We want damn answers, man. Rational and logical people want all the answers. That's what makes us smart. Because we have all the we want all the answers. We get all the answers. Okay. We won't accept the idea that no final answers are possible. Okay. That's just redonkulous. The existence of a creator God is truly arbitrary, is a truly a tr arbitrary assumption, and a logical, rational person is just not satisfied with simply assuming some stupid shit like that, something that pretends to provide an answer. It's like those lawyers who try to answer you and they don't answer you. They just talk in circles. It's kind of like that. Unfortunately, materialist empirical science has also taken the position right up there with the religious people. And they concluded basically that no final answer is possible. They gave up. They were quitters. Just like in everything else, they rather make an excuse. They rather make 
Oh, let's just add a exception into here because we don't know. Typical. So, let us take, well, no, not really, because further down those lines, uh, they said there's no such thing as the meaning to your life, okay? Either that, it's because science has not yet caught up to us in the Illuminism, uh, in distinguishing between ontological and abstract, your life does have purpose, and it does have intrinsic value. Here is the logical way to question the basis of reality itself. Okay, listen. To distinguish between abstract, right, and abstract, well, let me just rephrase that. Abstract nothing. Okay. And ontological mathematical zero. Those are the two that we're putting on the seesaw. Okay. One side you have a little... Okay. Imagine a seesaw, if you will, in your head. And on one side is midget. And on the other side is a big, black, retarded black girl and you see how uneven it would be you can get that in your head that's how uneven it would be yeah well it's like that it's about that way okay it does it's uneven too it's no fair pretty much <laughs> um now, if you took offense to that, fuck off. Um, I was trying to be funny, but, you know. But you have that picture of that black girl and fat black girl and the seesaw and the midget. I know you do. You have to have had it because you can't unhear things like that. So, anyway, what, what we wanted to do is logically ask the difference between the abstract nothing, okay, which is their sign, and ontological mathematic zero is what we're trying to explain and trying to get you to understand what we speak of when we talk about ontological, mathematical, zero. You're usually mathematical, almost this is an adjective in here, okay? And then to understand the basis of existence itself. And you're probably wondering why I keep talking about existence and matter and reality in my math. What does this have to do with it? Because it explains it. You get a two for a two for one, if you will. So, this is the logical way we do things. First, we have to realize that there has to be a basis for existence, correct? There must be something which is the essence of existence. Whatever this something is... It has to be perfectly logical. That's simply illogical. And it has to satisfy a few basic logical requirements. You would think it'd have to pass some tests, right? So whatever the basis is, it can't be divided up. If you could split apart the basis or divide it up, then whatever you split into whatever you split it into would be even more basic. You could use that. She's basic. Or she's she's more basic. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the unicorn's basic. Um, and so this would be a logical mistake for the thing you had believed to be as the basis. So we see that the logically ultimate basis cannot be divided at all. We need something that cannot be divided into. You follow me? In order to be a true logical basis, it has to be a strong base or a truth base. That's one perfectly logically 
logical, totally justified requirement for whatever it is that is the base of existence. Okay? It has to be solid and not like physically solid. Secondly, whatever the basis of existence is, it can't be created nor derived from anything else. It can't be created by something else. Because if something else created it, well, then whatever that creator thing was would be even more basic. And so would logically have to do wonder is to ask where the creator thing came from. Where'd your creator God come from? Right? I just put it in a mathematical term. Well, sort of. Um, obviously, this would be another violation of whatever it was we consider as the basis. So if the basis of reality cannot be created, a logical consequence is that the basis has existed permanently. Okay? You guys wanted this, I'm telling you. This is, uh, it doesn't sound that intense, but it is. Because it's zero. We're simply talking about one number in ontological math. Zero. And it's taken a half hour. We're not even done yet. What I mean by, you got to think differently. Well, zero is the only possible answer. It's just simply logical, people. We search long and hard for other answers. We looked for any other possible alternative that could satisfy and be as perfectly logical as required for thousands of years. Do you understand thousands of years? This is not new math. This isn't something that was made up overnight. Okay? Thousands of years passed down from secret society to secret society through the Illuminati. Then, uh, like, so we could prove ourselves wrong, in a way. Test it. So, zero. Zero, when divided, results in what, people? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? And zero. You can't, like, meaning that division didn't have an effect on the zero. Can we get an amen or something here, people? Zero can't be split apart. That's what I'm saying. You guys are lost, aren't you? Because of how small it is, it's its smallest point as it can possibly get. Zero is actually the infinitely small list. <laughs> small list. You can get. You can't get any smaller than zero, okay? Unless you're going in. And so you can't split it apart. So this perfectly satisfies the first requirement, and there is nothing else that is so logical. Perfect of an answer that you can get other than zero. Do you understand zero? So it's all about zero. Yes, today we're learning about zero, which is everything, nothing, and the smallest part of everything. Now, what about permanent existence, you might be asking, but I highly doubt because I think you're lost. The logical requirement that zero cannot have been created by anything else. This is all going to tie into energy can't be made or destroyed. It just morphs into things. Do you see the parallels? 
You will if you don't now. You will. If it's the, um, if it is the true ultimate basis of existence, zero. Well, just what is it? Zero. Now, here's the beauty between abstract and ontological. In the abstract, zero represents nothing. Nothing doesn't require creation. Okay? Why do you have to create nothing if that's what you believe? You see that? You wouldn't create nothing. You'd create something. But something. Right? Okay. So... If we sat here and said, okay, everybody create something, and you didn't create anything, you would create nothing. And you can't say you created anything. You can't get any smaller than zero. And so you can't, so, and it can't be split apart. Can't be divided by itself. So this perfectly satisfies the first requirement. Like I said, we're still shoving this in your head as zero, what it is. Now here's the beauty between, well, like I said, in between the two, is the representation of nothing. Nothing doesn't need to be created because it represent, because it doesn't represent anything. You don't need to create nothing. No effort is required for zero to exist. Zero. Zero effort. However, logically, zero has to be something. Has to be. Because something has to be the logical indivisible basis of existence. Zero is the something that is perfectly indivisible. In the abstract, zero represents nothing. But logically and ontologically, we also know that zero has to be the indivisible logical basis of existence. Because it is the only thing that satisfies that requirement. So, is zero solely nothing in abstract? Or is it something in fact? Oh, I see your guys' faces is glazing over. Um, I told you this was not going to be something that was very easy. Okay, well, the answer to that question is that it's both. That it's the amazing, it's the amazing nature of zero. Here we have zero, okay? Zero is both abstractly nothing and logically something. Zero is nothing and something united, if you will. Zero is ontologically. Its meaning is truly, it meaning, its meaning truly exists as the logical requirement for the basis of existence itself. Zero is something because it is the thing, the thing, which is in, which is indivisible, indivisible, Zero is nothing. Also, because it is a thing which is indivisible. Indivisible. I'm going to keep saying that. Once you identify the two essential logical requirements for the basis of existence itself, the only solution you can be in uniting nothing with something. <laughs> I see how it sounds. Um, and the ontological mathematical zero is the only concept that can logically do what it requires. If you guys come up with something else, let me know. Okay. But no one else has. There is no way to get around it. Absolutely nothing. No way. No other logical concept or answer which can be found. And it was looked for for thousands of years. Whew. Okay, people. Uh, do you guys want to go and clear your heads or do you want me to move along? Because we're not even halfway there, I don't think. 
Everybody, let's raise your hands. Who doesn't care and wants to become zero? <laughs> okay, we'll take a break. Guys, go clear your heads. Smoke cigarette. Smoke some gateway drugs. I don't care what you do, but get back here. Put your thinking caps on when you get back because it's about to get a lot rougher. We're going to take a pause now. And we are going to do the same thing besides not gateway drugs. Um, we're going to do our... Oh, just hurry up. Okay, people, I hope you guys have all gotten your drinks and gone to the bathroom and done whatever you needed to do for another hour of this class. Um, we're going to get right back into it. I'm not uh, going back and doing any kind of recap because that's not the way it works. You guys want it. This is you got to be able to take all this information in. Of course, I'll print this out and you guys can have it, but just to let you know that it's going to be rough. It's going to be a lot of information. Now, we left real quick on um, what satisfies both requirements, and uh, I was talking about what zero is. It's solely, it's a nothing in abstract, or is it something in fact, right? That's what I kind of left it with, is my quote. And basically, the answer is both. Okay, uh, that is the amazing nature of, of zero. It's magic properties, as I say. Zero is both abstractly nothing and logically something. You see that? It's like me. It can be right on both times. Zero is nothing and something united. It is of itself. That's what zero stands for. Okay. So, zero is nothing and something. Zero is ontological, meaning it truly exists as a logical requirement, as a logical requirement for the basis of existence itself. Okay. That's what we're trying to bash into your head. Once you've identified the two essential logical requirements for the basis of existence, as we're talking about, the only solution that you're going to come up with is uniting, is what can be in a uniting nothing with, with something, and the ontological mathematical zero is the only concept that can logically do it. So there's no way to get around it. This is no longer, no... Because there's no other logical concept or answer which anybody has come up with or has been found. And so in the abstract, doing mathematics on paper like we should be doing uh, to try to explain this, but we can't. Uh, doing mathematics on paper or just in your head, we calculate zeros that... Now listen carefully. We calculate zeros that represent the absence of something. For instance, if you lost five pounds, your uh, one excellent, uh, like one one great week of yours, okay, that would be a great week, right? But the but gain five pounds the next, that's a terrible week. Your weight will have changed none or zero pounds, right? These are examples, people, where I'm trying to show you if you're confused. These are what I'm talking about. But let's say, what does, I don't know. What does this because it's indivisible. And we're not talking about indivisible and the justice for all or whatever that quote is. And indefinitely small indefinitely small is infinitely small and it's indivisibly small it's 
absolutely indivisible. You can't break it down. And it does not require creation at all. You know, it doesn't even require the energy to create it. Like, what a great thing. It's so selfless, okay? However, it is also something, something, because is the thing, because is the thing which is indivisible. And it is the thing which doesn't require creation. What does this sound like? Anybody? No one knows what it sounds like. Have you heard it before? Nobody? Really, like nobody. I mean, I'm going to be upset. Okay, never mind then. Well, I'm just going to confuse you more now. Oh, boy. Okay, here goes. Because now that we're getting into... You see these equations on the board and these numbers and letters that you thought. I don't know what you thought, but this is this was this is it. So we have zero, and that's what all we have right now, right? Anybody else have anything else that came out of that? Okay, then you and your creators. I'm going to have somebody pass out papers. Uh, come on up. Uh, you have to have this before I begin so you can see it. And you'll have to write it down. So. And when it gets all passed out, Diddly do. And are we finished? Okay, the concept might initially ups be upsetting to some people. I know math is upsetting to me in general. Um, for many people, because of the need to reconcile what seems to be um, opposites into a single thing. However, there are many real-world tangible examples of things which contain and imply their opposites. Okay, Take uh, good and evil, for example. It's, perfect. it's a good example. Now, I had to come up with all these examples to still work them into the religion thing. You know what I mean? you got to give it up. Um, and you're going to have to be doing some of this if you decide you go out and teach because th this makes sense for me, but it might not make sense for you to memorize when you have to memorize and then come up with examples on the fly, you know? So, however, there, may, there are many real-world uh, tangible examples of things which contain or imply their opposites, like the good and evil that I'm going to, about to talk about. For, can we recognize good without being able to recognize evil? That's comparative analysis. That is part of why the AI can't be, isn't self-aware to the umpteenth percent. And we hope that it doesn't get that way because it doesn't have that comparison. It doesn't have anything to go and get something to compare to. The concept of good contains evil and the concept of evil contains good. Or another example would be love and hate. Okay. The deepest love 
can and has to can and has too many times to count turned into the most scornful and I'm telling you the worst it was suddenly gone from infatuation uh, love and respect and then you find out what who they truly are and that turns out into hate um scornful visceral hate actually um when that love gets violated with infidelity or uh a number of any other issues it doesn't matter what it is uh lack of caring and lack of empathy you name it like narcissistic behavior you just keep going in the case of love literally turns into hate literally changes forms okay so kind of get what I'm going with this they have to have each other in them in this case love literally turns into hate and so love really does seem to contain its opposite likewise to hate one thing is to love its opposite Almost by default. You see what I'm saying? If I... No, I won't use an example. You understand. That is why ideas and concepts contain their opposites as a necessary... And that is necessary for their existence. And the concept contains their opposites in any manner of examples we are intimately familiar with it all together be it love like i said that that nothing of zero is also the something of zero and it should become intuitively and logically obvious if you just think of how much you implicably accept that logical reality in more in a more tangible everyday aspect of your life okay this shouldn't be hard to conceptualize because it's real um but like i said it's gonna take a little bit of thinking differently the nothing of zero is also the something of zero okay this concept I'm going to hit a lot on, okay? Because that's what we need to, how you need to think about zero. And why, you say? Why ask why when you don't know what you're talking about? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm going to start off with um, giving you a little tidbit of history again. Um, now the dialectical logic does anybody know what that is it's dialectical logic and it was really most clearly and fully developed by George uh, Wilhelm Frederick Hegel I know you've heard me talk about him. I've quoted him quite a bit. He's a big part of writing books about this stuff. Um, And we, you know, how I like my little words. So his last name is Hegel. And so the Hegelian logic. Okay. So it'd be like a Syrian Syrian logic. Okay. Kind of like that. And was most clearly and fully developed, like I said, by this Hegel character um this dialect dialectical okay it's hard to say electrical uh logic uh, it really can't it can't be any more important because it is all about understanding and resolving the the apparent contradictions of things containing their opposites such as low love and hate example the good and evil example 
and the ontological zero, nothing, and something example. These dialectical forms forms the basis of the energy or movement of existence itself. And within that zero and the innate dialectical <laughs> dialect of something versus nothing, it creates all of the activity of reality at the elementary level, people. That's the final. Okay, so mathematically, the nothing and something of zero is united and demonstrated in what is now called the God equation. Which you might know as anybody know what that is really? It's really called what? You learned it. I know you did. It's the equation made by Euler. Euler's equation. This is the basis of everything. So on the board, look behind me. Anybody tell me what that is? That's right. It's Euler's equation. Now, this is what we were talking about by, by everything is a waveform. Everything of mind in a waveform is... Right, and a Euler's equation shows, or the God equation, we replace God with an equation. <laughs> this equation contains all possible numbers. Look at that. Positive and negative, real and positives and negative. Okay, let's, let's put it this way. If real and positive and negative and imaginary numbers... And it shows that they are all balanced around zero because the average of the scene wave or cosine function over a wave cycle is zero. This equation shows that zero contains everything because why? Everything balances out to zero. You see that? It doesn't equal zero. It balances out. It's all about the balance. And indeed, I say, indeed, young pattern, we should expect this because logically, right, we already know that zero should contain its opposite infinity. Yes. Because zero is the infinite. Anybody? It's the infinitely small. Infinitely because it is implicably and infinitely small. Kind of like a micro penis. No. Zero is a, a perfect basis for, the exist for existence itself because by pure logic, you can't, it contains the opposite of infinity. Okay, people, I don't think you grasp the concept of what I'm telling you. And when you get behind this, you, you're, this is grasping infinity and the opposite. There is nothing beyond infinity. And within infinity, anything can be created. As long as it all balances out to zero. However, whatever is created has to obey Euler's equation because that is the only ontological equation which governs how all numbers must relate to each other or one another. For example, okay, space and time, okay? Space and time exist. And you can read any number of books how space and time perfectly obey Euler's equation and how that equation explains relative, relativity theory. Okay, That equation is also the heart of quantum mechanics and even things like heat flow. 
don't ask, we won't go into it. Once science discovers this and catches up, okay, if they ever become philosophically informed, but no, they're, they're just so one-sided, okay, this radically, radically new discovery and, and simplifications of uh, pedagogy <laughs> is, well, let's say a, another example of it would uh, a massive transformation and in the golden age, okay? That's what, that's how paradigm shifting, that's my way. I say paradigm shifting, sometimes you have to ch change your way of saying things. Now, Euler's equation is literally the boundary condition of existence. And everything that exists can be traced back to it, its origin. There is nothing outside of it. It is the prototypical ontological equation. It is everything. It is literally the equation of the soul, of your soul. Yours and yours and yours and yours. It's the soul equation, baby. And that's pretty sexy, right? The prime numbers sequence itself is hidden somewhere within the properties of Euler's equation. Yeah, there's more to come. But for now, I'm going to summarize. Because I can't look at your faces anymore. They're killing me. So, to sum everything up, abstract nothing cannot have the quality of existence because if it did have such a quality, then it would have an existence or an existent quality. And any existence quality is something. Hence, requiring a pre-existent creator. And without being divisible, thus not being reducible to something else, is the nothing represented by the ontological zero. No effort is required to create zero. However, zero implicably contains its opposite infinity. Because zero means the infinitely small, and also because of one zero can exist, then it makes the difference and there is no sufficient reason why the infinite number of other zeros cannot exist since none of them require any effort to exist at all. There is one single governing equation which describes the set of all possible numbers balancing to zero. And this is Euler's equation, otherwise known as the God equation. And this equation can be found in the heart of all fundamental physical sciences such as relativity, quantum mechanics, and thermodynamics. So people, this is what you're getting into. This is what you came for. This is only me trying to explain a little bit about what it is. We haven't even gotten into it. Like, those equations are pretty serious. Okay. We destroy the creator God. We destroy the, uh, the external God. And then we have a God equation, which was represented by mathematician. Okay. So I know that was long, and trust me, I myself is quite beat. So I'm going to take the rest of the night off. Uh, we were going to have a twofer, but I just decided to go to this math at last minute because of, of the scuttlebutt. Um, and uh, I was wondering about it. I, I'm an ass man, so I was wondering if I would like Scuttlebutt. And I kind of do. It's always fun because you get to hear what they say. Then you get to react and Scuttlebutt away. <laughs> okay, anyway, that's all. You go, take notes, take it home, study it, understand it. Don't ask me until to next next week. We might take a week off when I'm uh, gone, so we're going to try to hurry through th a few things. Not the math things, but... Okay, people, get the fuck off.